Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. All right, so on this uh, July the 7th, um, one little follow-on to the news you heard at the top of the hour about Harvard University announcing its plan to uh, resume classes this fall in an entirely online learning experience. Uh, Yesterday, as a part of the Immigration and Custom Enforcement Something called the Student and Exchange Visitor Program, which is headed up by the State Department of the United States. So the well, I guess maybe I should do it this way. The State Department, through its uh, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE, uh, issued an announcement yesterday, declared yesterday that the Student and Exchange Visitor Program would uh, not be issuing visas nor permit entry into the United States to international students who are enrolled in schools and or programs that are fully online for the fall semester. And so for those uh, colleges and universities, uh, maybe those are most obvious, but I'm I'm familiar with um, schools across the country that cater to expats um, and cater to international students who are in high school who want to come to the United States and be educated during high school as well, boarding schools across the country. Um, This is going to impact all of them. And so let's just be mindful of that as another, uh, just another component part of the ongoing conversation in the culture today. Um, Some of you will be uh, maybe most interested in in headlines today that are um, dystopic, I am going to focus on three good news stories here at the outset of this hour. Three good news stories to start our day and inspire all of us. So I'm just going to um, I'm just going to say hope has a name. Hope has a name. And today your name could be hope. You could embody the gospel today. So the three names I'm going to list up, lift up Monica Salinas, Maya Moore and Raccoon Brown. All right. So uh, Ruquan, sorry, Ruquan Brown, Monica Salinas, Maya Moore and Ruquan Brown. Those are uh, the three names of hope this morning. Monica Salinas is a is an Amazon delivery driver. She lives in uh, the great state of Idaho, and uh, she's making her regular Amazon delivery rounds, like, right, she does every single day. There's probably some monotony related to uh, her particular job, um, but she she stepped up onto a porch that she steps up onto on a regular basis because it happens to be uh, a house that gets a lot of Amazon deliveries. In fact, every single day uh, receives some deliveries from Amazon. And she was delivering um, her package to the Pearson family in Nampa, Idaho. Um, And every single day they receive medical deliveries for their eight-month-year-old son who uh, for whom those medical deliveries are a matter of life and death. And so they had simply taped a very simple note to their door. Thank you for delivering our food and packages. We have an infant with medical needs and online deliveries are essential to his health. You are helping keep our son alive and well. We're grateful 
to all of our frontline deliveries um, and, and for our family. And then they uh, they sign it with, and they post a picture of their son. This is just taped to their front door. So they were noticing that this particular delivery driver, after uh, making the delivery, stood on their porch for um, an extended period of time with her head bowed. And they said that at first they were uncertain what she was doing until she made the sign of the cross over her heart before departing their porch. And they described themselves as being, you know, choked up over the fact that this person was um, praying for them, praying for their son. You can be, (laughs) you can embody hope today, like Monica Salinas, an Amazon driver in Idaho, by simply praying for other people. I mean, that, that, you can embody hope today. Maya Moore, here's a little more uh, complicated uh, testimony and story. We've um, highlighted Maya Moore's story before. She is an, uh, a WNBA phenom. She took time away from her very lucrative basketball career to help um, an, uh, a wrongfully accused man imprisoned. His name's Jonathan Irons, um, to help him win his release. And uh, he was convicted of burglary and assault charges. Those were overturned. Um, and yet it took uh, really very significant effort to have this man released from a Missouri penitentiary. Well, that happened on Wednesday. Um, he had received a 50-year prison sentence, and WNBA star Maya Moore um, stood there as he walked out of that Missouri penitentiary on Wednesday. Um, it took four months. It was four months ago that the judge overturned his conviction, and he still... Um, you know, he, he still had to remain in incarcerated, wrongfully accused um, for another four months. So let's just be celebrating. You can you can press the full force of your life against injustice um, and you can embody hope today. You can embody the gospel. So. Um, pray, bend the system in the direction of justice or create something. Uh, and that takes us to Ruquan Brown. Ruquan Brown is uh, an African-American teenager. And in um, in the face of what he was seeing ravage his community, gun violence, he decided to create something. Instead of going out and doing something that would not move things forward, he decided to create something. And so he created a clothing company to spread love. He's, uh, he's a teenager in Washington, D.C. He knows firsthand how devastating gun violence can be. He's already lost too many loved ones. And so he is fighting nationwide to issue a powerful force, love, love. By the way, uh, just to come full circle, um, he happens to be a kid who was accepted into 24 colleges and universities across the country, seven of them Ivy League. He had accepted uh, a full-ride scholarship to Harvard, which, uh, returning to the cycle of news at the top of the hour, um, would now be all online. So there you go. All right, next up, I got Nick Pitts waiting in the wings. He's a fellow at the Institute for Global Engagement. we got a couple of stories to cover with you next. Welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Joining me now, Nick Pitts. He's a fellow at the Institute for Global Engagement. He tweets at J. Nick Pitts. Nick, welcome back. 
Carmen, so great to be with you. Happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, man. Okay, tell people who don't know who um, Nick Cordero uh, was and why we're talking about him this morning. Yeah, so Nick Cordero is a Broadway actor. Um, You may have heard of him, may have seen him in particular shows such as Bullets Over Broadway, uh, Waitress, A Bronx Tale. But he has really captivated the nation because his story has been shared by his wife, uh, Amanda Klutz. Um, over the past three months, Nick was has been battling coronavirus. Um, there's been 2.9 million confirmed cases so far of the coronavirus here in the U.S. Upwards of 130,000 Americans have lost their lives. But Nick Cordero was a was just a story that was captivating uh, a contingent of the country because one, he battled it for so long. Two, he had such a platform, and now we we find ourselves. He, he lost the battle earlier this week, and, and Amanda, as you would have just imagined, his, his now widowed wife was just heartbroken over it. And it's just such a, a sad reminder of what this virus is taking, is taking from so many Americans and impacting all of us in a variety of ways. So we're talking about this today um, in part um, because it's challenging to, I mean, I, I'm... I'm desperately grieving with this with this young woman who's grieving. I mean, yeah. I don't deny that for a moment. But I also recognize that because of the size of her platform, when she mm-hmm. is um, putting information out there in public before her nearly half a million Instagram followers, that's really bad theology. I yeah. cringe. I, I cringe. And so um, part of the conversation that I wanted to have with you this morning is, you know, like, how, how do I... Um, point out to my friends and neighbors that um, although Amanda Klutz is grieving and rightfully so, and, and I, along with her uh, weeping with those who weep, um, I'm not going to follow her lead in, um, in acknowledging that Nick is now an angel. Like we don't become mm-hmm. angels when we die. That's not what yeah. happens. And so for her yeah. to be declaring that to her nearly half a million Instagram followers, like I, I cringe and I and I want to be able to gently say, um, at least to those who are uh, who are following her lead. Right. That's that's mm-hmm. not what happened. That's not what yeah. happened. Nick did not, did not did not become an angel. That's not what happens. Yeah, uh, uh, I'm sure many of many of us can um, sympathize. We can relate with what Amanda um is doing right now in that when tragedy strikes us, when, when situations and circumstances that are just so unfortunate befall us, there's just this grasping that we do to try to make sense and try to bring comfort. Um, and what, uh, Amanda has done on her platform is she has articulated this idea that quote, God has another angel in heaven right now. When she mentioned that her darling husband had passed away earlier that morning, and what she's trying to do is, as many Americans can just relate, a three-month battle. I can't imagine being in a hospital for three months battling this disease that is just polarizing our country and just just really wrecking havoc in our country. And after three long months, uh, she comes to a place where she's just trying to find some semblance of comfort uh, um, in the midst of this. And she utters this line that God has another angel in heaven to try to bring comfort and some type of solace to this loss that she's experiencing. And it's it's like we said, this isn't this isn't theology that's rooted in the biblical narrative. 
And so we can understand it. But here's the even greater news that we can have, that that God doesn't have another angel because what we have is the angels yearn to have what we have mm-hmm. been offered as Christians, it says in 1 Peter 1, 12. Like the angels want the message. They can't experience the life-saving message of not being an angel, but being a saint and adopted son and daughter of the King of Kings. The angels serve. We have the opportunity to join the family of God. And when we pass away into this life, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We've been given something greater than being an angel. We have a chance to to see. Uh, we no longer see dimly through a mirror anymore, but to be in his presence, which is the fullness of joy. We it, it's so it's uh, we can understand what Amanda is going through, trying to find some semblance of hope and, and comfort during this great loss she's experiencing. But the good news from the God of the biblical narrative is he draws near to those that are broken hearted. He brings comfort to those that are weak and struggling, and he is offering us a message far greater than our minds can comprehend, but he's inviting us to get into the biblical narrative to understand what he's offering us. If in Christ, then we are raised to a newness of life in which we become Mm -hmm. sons and daughters of God, co-heirs with Christ for all eternity. Um, And as Nick has so beautifully uh, articulated, um, it's, it's better than being an angel. It's way better than oh. being an angel um, because it is uh, it is to to know God fully and to be fully known, which is something still hidden mm-hmm. um, from the angelic realm. All right, Nick Pitts and I will be right back. We're going to pivot to another story, another big headline. This one um, about uh, uh, a baseball player named Andrew Tolls. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Nick Pitts. He is on Twitter at JNickPitts. Um, Nick, um, this this story uh, about Andrew Tolls, and, I, you know, it, it's hard to even call it a story. This is, this is a life being lived right now by an individual um, who has certainly known the heights and is right now living in the depths. So mm-hmm. um, share, share the story of this individual. Yeah. Um, so Andrew Tolls may sound uh, be a familiar name for some of your listeners. He was uh, he played for the Do- Dodgers. He, he's been on the team restricted list. But he hasn't played since September 2018. So while we're gearing up for baseball season that will begin in this COVID shortened era uh, in late July, uh, Andrews just finds himself in a pretty difficult spot right now. He has been, according to the USA Today, he's been in and out of at least 20 mental health facilities in the last year and a half. He's been diagnosed with bipolar disorder and schizophrenia. And last week, police arrested Tolls um, after finding him uh, sleeping behind the Key West Airport in South Florida. And so it is is, uh, a reminder of, of the line that Henry David Thoreau, the mass of men live lives of quiet desperation, there was a lot going on in the story that he's not simply just a baseball player that had her, that um, was living his dream, but then just the mental health issues really took their toll to the extent that today that he finds himself um, in, in pretty dire trouble with law officials. So, you know, I want to bring um, people like his sister into view um, because 
the the grief um, that is experienced when a person is diagnosed with, in this case, um, bipolar disorder and schizophrenia, um, mm-hmm. the uh, you know he's been in and out of, according to his sister's um, you know sort of very public witness now on on media. Um, been in and out of uh, at least 20 mental health facilities in the last year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we talk about access to mental health resources here in the United States, I really think that's what I want to bring into focus and and acknowledge that he comes from a family who very desperately wants him to get the help that he needs. But um, mm-hmm. even for those people who have access, which obviously he has access um, there's still it, it still does not always result in an individual um, what taking advantage of the of the help that is available so yeah. hard. Uh, um, I, I'll, I can be uh, pretty upfront with your listeners. My uh, I, I grew up. My mother uh, has been in the developmental disability mental health resources space uh, my entire life. So I've grown up around this particular issue. Um, and on a side note, if there's ever been a wonder of God making someone specifically designed to minister to um, in this space, uh, it would be my mother. She is equally passionate yet compassionate in this issue, having the gentle graciousness and, 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 and poise to really thrive and really bring health and life in this particular space. So I am indebted to her because she has taught me so much in this space. But you're so right, Carmen. And there's probably many of your listeners that are uh, working through this right now or have been impacted by this. There's approximately 1.2 million adults who uh, suffer from that are in desperate need of mental health resources here in the U.S. Among children, that's roughly 1.7 million. And I think Arthur Brooks has this great point about this. He notes that these individuals are often classified with disabilities as liabilities when in reality they're assets. Um, one study found that increased familiarity with those who have these, this type of better need of mental health resources results in less anxiety and better attitudes. It improves company culture is what they found in research. There's, it, it's, it, the research is aboundingly clear in this. These aren't individuals. That, yes, they need treatment, but don't we all need some type of help? But even more than that, there are also individuals that can contribute and also are a very pivotal part of the society to help us remind us of this shared project we call life and how we all have a necessary uh, place in it and we can contribute to it for the betterment of it. Well, give your gratitude, um, give our gratitude to your mom um, for all that she is doing. And Nick, thank you um, for your willingness to share. You know, I think that we... We're tempted if if mental health issues um, and these particular challenges are not a part of our um, of our immediate family. We are tempted to imagine that the answer is as simple and yet complex as the gospel. Um, mm-hmm. But we also live in a time um, when there are just a lot of Christians listening right now who know not only the mental health challenges that they face, but that are faced in their families. And so we mm-hmm. want to be uh, very quick to say to each and every one of you today. God's grace is sufficient. You are not alone. Um, And if you are in need of help, please reach out for it. Um, Nick, thank you so very much. And pass along your gratitude to our mom, to your mom. Will do. Will do. Blessings. We'll talk to you next week. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Nick. We'll be right back. All right. 
you've probably heard, in fact, you've probably already watched the uh, Hamilton musical on Disney+. Plus. If you have not, you've certainly heard the name of Alexander Hamilton. Um, and you may know some things about him historically, but you may not know why he's trending now. So Alexander Hamilton, all things uh, Alexander Hamilton, the man, Hamilton and Christianity, Hamilton the musical, Hamilton the gospel or the gospel according to Hamilton. <laughs> I got it all. Jonathan Den Hurt, uh, Hartog is going to be here next. He's a historian of early America, especially religion and politics. He's a history professor, and he's going to join me next to talk all things Hamilton. Kids have a remarkable capacity to get themselves in a mess, don't they? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. I've seen it a million times. A teen wants to make his own decisions, control his circumstances, and in the process, he makes a few mistakes. To a parent, it looks like he's tangled himself in a knot. But mom and dad, before you jump in and clean up the mess, let me urge you to hold back. Part of the growing up process your son is going through right now has to do with the mess. Perhaps your job right now, instead of rescuing your teen, is to hold him accountable to untangle his entanglements. It's a lesson you once learned, and it's a lesson your teen needs to learn today. Want more parenting help from Mark Gregston? Find encouragement through articles, books, and more at ParentingTodaysTeens.org. Again, ParentingTodaysTeens.org. tempted to say in an effort to extend the uh, influence of the University of Northwestern St. Paul into uh, the southern states, Jonathan Den Hartog uh, became the chair and professor at, at Samford University, but that's probably not how it happened. But he's joining us today from Birmingham, Alabama. Jonathan Den Hartog uh, is a teacher. He's an educator. Um, he served for a number of years at the University of Northwestern St. Paul uh, received his Ph.D. in American history from the University of Notre Dame. He's a specialist in American political and religious history. He's the author of Patriotism and Piety, Federalist Politics and Religious Struggle in the New American Nation and co-editor of Disestablishment and Religious Dissent, Church-State Relations in the New American States. Uh, Jonathan, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Well, good morning. So good to be back. And I, I will say that I'm, I've definitely taken so many of the themes that Northwestern uh, emphasizes with me and try to apply that in my, in my new position. Yeah, you're like, it's practically like a missionary service. I, it's the way I feel about it. I live just north of you in Tennessee. So you and I are now laboring on behalf uh, of, yeah, of of the great influence of UNWSP down here in the South. So um, extending the lines. I like that idea quite a lot. Exactly. There you go. Okay. So let's, um, I have, I, I said to producer Paul Perot, we got to talk about Hamilton because everybody's talking about Hamilton, but everybody's talking about Hamilton, the musical. And I felt like we need to be talking about Hamilton, the man. And so he said, Oh, Let's reach out. And so thank you so much for graciously agreeing to do this, because this is really in your wheelhouse of expertise. Tell us who uh, Alexander Hamilton uh, was and why, we're, why we should all be talking about him. 
this is something that I do like to talk about a lot. I mean, the the American Revolutionary Era is what I what I think about uh, most days. And uh, when when Paul reached out to me, my my message was actually a line from Hamilton, which was, "Let's go. Let's <laughs> let's talk about this." Um, no, I mean, in the broad strokes, uh, many of the the. Uh, facts about Hamilton that the musical conveyed were correct, right? He did not, he was not born in the continental United States, but he was uh, born in the Caribbean, uh, comes comes to, uh, actually he's, he's first aims for Princeton, ends up at uh, King's College, which we know as Columbia, um, gets involved in the revolution, and he is, a, he's kind of a precocious uh, U.S. Army officer, serves on George Washington's staff, uh, then, uh, after about his time in private life, goes on, is at the Constitutional Convention. He contributes many of the Federalist papers in defense of ratifying the Constitution. And uh, he does become the first secretary of the Treasury. So, I mean, he's really building uh, the country in that way and in, with a lot of economic plans, lays the groundwork for American economic expansion. So on on all those fronts, th that's pretty admirable role. He's a he is a significant founding father. All right, and he he writes a number of the Federalist Papers. Am I am I accurate in saying that? Uh, he does. So the the Federalist Papers, which of course everyone should read, and I which I require my students to read, uh, are uh, co-written by three people. Um, they each bring their own flair to the project. Uh, John Jay is the senior colleague, but he writes fewer. He only he only writes about five of them because he he, uh, he gets sick in the middle of, of the process. Uh, James Madison writes some of the uh, most celebrated or theoretical papers, like Federal Paper Number Ten and Number Fifty One. But Hamilton writes the bulk of them. He writes the majority of them, and. Uh, so they they are argumentative. They're trying to convince people that the Constitution is the right way to go. And uh, a great great way they starts off is with number one, Federalist number one, where he just says, "Hey, this is our choice. Can we show that self government is possible, or are we going to always be blown about by by force and chance?" And he says, "No. This is a great opportunity for Americans to demonstrate that self government is possible." All right. So I'm talking with uh, Professor Dr. Jonathan Den Hartog. You can now find him at Samford, S-A-M-F-O-R-D dot E-D-U. Um, and, uh, and we're talking today about Hamilton. We're talking about Alexander Hamilton, the person. We're talking about um, the, the role that he played, the significant role that he played in the foundation of this nation. And then we're also talking about this phenomenon of not only a Broadway musical, but now um, a hit on Disney Plus as a streaming event that that people are watching all over the country. And the crowds that I have really seen um, advocating Hamilton right now, the, the musical as movie, um, are Christian homeschoolers. And so I want you to talk with us about um, this as as almost like a pedagogical experiment, how a a musical um, and therefore, then a movie, and in this particular time where people are trapped at home and looking for something to watch, it's really become a streaming event. Um, this is kind of a pedagogical experiment. Can we 
re-educate America about herself and her founding and things like Federalist One and the question of whether or not we can actually prove out self-governance. I mean, maybe this is kind of a moment in time event. Well, so first of all, that that, that picture of many Christian homeschoolers uh, drawing on this is is really uh, in, engaging. I, I'm going to have to think about that a little bit more. So we should we should tell our listeners um, that the the movie on Disney Plus is rated PG-13. So depending on people's convictions, there it's a PG-13 movie. There is some language, um, and the some of the soundtrack is is would probably be even R-rated. So just be aware of that. Um, depending on on your convictions, but um, I watched the I watched it with my daughters who are eleven and thirteen, and I, I thought it was a, a approximately appropriate. So just I want everyone to be aware of that. Mm-hmm. Um, the the idea that we can use popular culture to even think about the past, um, as a historian, I would talk about that on two levels that. Um, there's the history of what real of our understanding of what really happened, um, which can develop and which needs to be very uh, specific or very exact. And then there's what I would call memory. How do we remember it? What is it about the past that lodges in our individual memory, our collective national memory that is going to be useful? For thinking about the future, and I think history and memory both have their have their role. I do think Hamilton the musical operates more as memory than as history. And what I what I mean by that is not all the details are correct um, for purposes of art history and narrative. Uh, things got moved around or kind of glossed over. So don't. This would be my other urge. Don't get all of your understanding about the American founding from Hamilton the musical. But it might be a great way of getting us to think about we really should think about that period, that it's really valuable for us to consider. And there might be some ideals in there that are still really relevant for us. So I would see it as a great moment to be inspired to then go back to the to the past, go back to the primary sources, go back to good books about the topic to learn more. And so that, that would probably be one of my uh, real uh, exhortations for everyone at home is if this really excited you, read some more. If there was a part that really got you, read some more and, and find some good resources to learn more about it. Absolutely. A little bit like I'm not relying on the Peanuts version of the song about the Constitution for my entire education on the matter. So I love this idea that we can use pop culture um, to talk about the past. I love the distinction between history, what actually happened, and that which we preserve somehow in our collective memory, um, because that maybe would help us live into the future. But that's a narrative, and that's not necessarily all the facts of what happened. Um, I just love that. I love that inspiration to... Um, to actually go and read primary sources, allow the pop cultural event to turn us toward the historical event. That's actually what we're doing in this conversation right now. So we're going to continue doing just that. I am talking with Dr. Jonathan Den Hartog. Uh, We're going to continue our conversation about Hamilton, and we're going to make the connection to Christianity and the gospel right after this very brief break. Just you. All right, continuing my conversation 
with Jonathan Den Hartog. You can find him at Samford University. We're talking about Hamilton. And so um, Schoolhouse Rock comes to mind when you when you suggest to me that uh, there are things in pop culture that can turn our attention in a positive way to the things of the past, um, but that we must differentiate between that which actually happened and the narrative um, that we either have adopted or have uh, have believed. And wow, does that seem like a timely conversation to be having um, as so many people across the United States of America are discovering things about the history of this country that, frankly, were not a part of their education. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, this this can go this can run either way. I mean, I, maybe it leads to disillusionment when people say, "Oh, people in the past were not as great as we thought." Um, that's true, or it could also lead to rediscovery that there's a deeper and a wider past that that we can understand and and adopt. So, so I, I think that's part of intellectual growth and and learning to to do both. Now, I, just on that point, before we go on, um, guess what? Every historical figure is going to be flawed. Um, <laughs> I think the musical is is right to show Hamilton was a flawed individual. Um, he was he was not perfect, and we're going to find that for everyone, even our heroes. So let's not put our faith in in a historical figure. Um, but in the only, well, in, in Christ who was perfect and the only one in the past who was perfect. So we should just go to our historical studies, realize we're going to find faults with everyone if we look deep enough. Well, which would be true of all of us, right? I mean, uh, well, we should, we should have that knowledge too. I'm not, I'm not perfect as much as I I, I would like to think so, but uh, it's, it's not true. And so just look in the mirror. And that's true for every person in the past. Yeah, we're going to find faults because sin is ubiquitous. Like, right, there's, I mean, you know, Scripture is really clear. Um, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Um, the, the only perfect character in all of human history is the one of perfect character, and that would be Jesus the Christ. And so when we're talking about the characters, um, you know, people of history, including Alexander Hamilton, there are things that they help us understand um, about not only the history of our country, but there are a lot of people who point to um, this this story and this musical um, as as a place to help people connect with the gospel. What are they pointing at when they do that? What are they seeing? Help us help us discover that. Well, I, my my first thought is that it's probably going to take several steps. So you would have to lead people several steps to understand the gospel through this. But you know that was actually a theme that I was struck by. As I was rewatching that, watching the the film this weekend, um, at the end, probably one of the last songs, uh, the key grace note—that's an interesting word—grace note is forgiveness. That after after Hamilton has had an affair, spoiler warning there, um, after um, some of his ambitions have torn the family apart, um, he's separated from his wife. But after years, they are reconciled. And so there's this moment when the the choir sings forgiveness. And I just thought that was so powerful. And if people could see that that fact of uh, reconciliation that can come uh, between individuals, well, we know that that the only way that reconciliation can truly uh, happen is, 
as God works in our hearts. We talk about uh, themes of hope, um, redemptive themes. Um, I think that sometimes it's easier for us to see those in a distant historical figure than it is to see those uh, as possibilities in, in the right here and right now. Are there things that as you, you know, you, you have so thoroughly studied the, the foundation of this country. Are there things that as you look back, I mean, from this point in history and you say to yourself, I wish they had gone a step further in this particular direction. I wish they had gone ahead in, in what they knew was the next right thing or, do you feel like they went as far as they could in the days in which they lived? Yeah. Um, well, just on, just on that comment, I, I I do think there's there's our need for us for us uh, in our moment to make hope uh, a, a real thing, right? To to live in the stories that that we're writing right now in 2020 to make hope and make faith uh, real and attractive. Uh, to the people we're around. So we can be inspired by the past, but also that should challenge us in the present. Um, boy, that, that's, that's a, your, the other question is real, a real leading one. Did, was it perfect? Well, they, I think many of the founders knew that what they were doing was, they, they called it an experiment, by which they mean we're going to do the best that we can but that doesn't mean that it's perfect. And I've even read multiple uh, founders like Hamilton, like uh, John Jay, saying, you know, we need to put the Constitution to the test. And if there are problems, it can be amended that we, we haven't arrived, but we've we've taken a, a good step. Now, of course, uh, in 2020, the, the question arises, well, what were they doing uh, in regard to slavery? And uh, now one thing that Hamilton holds up, Hamilton was a member of the uh, New York Anti-Slavery Society. Um, now, he wasn't on the front lines uh, picketing slavery or something, but he did uh, oppose slavery even in his day. And I think it's really important to note that many states saw the incompatibility of slavery with the ideals that they had expressed. And so throughout the North, in the 1770s, 1780s, 1790s, slavery was ended. And so I think we, we do need to see that there were people applying both their faith and their political ideals for social reform. Now, of course, the tragedy is that didn't reach uh, into, the, into the South, uh, below uh, Maryland. So uh, there were people who saw that and who were working for the type of that type of social reform, um, but as a as a nation that wasn't accomplished, and it would of course take many more decades in the Civil War to uh, truly address the problems of slavery. All right, one more um, brief, I maybe just observation um, before I let you go. And and again, um, I'm talking with Dr. Jonathan Den Hartog. He is a professor at Samford University. You can find him at Samford S A M FORD.edu. Um, Eliza Hamilton, uh, Alexander Hamilton's wife, um, founded a, uh, a ministry, a social service agency called Graham Wyndham, um, to 
help kids like her husband had been to help orphans get their start in life. And I just want to say that 214 years later, that ministry continues. That organization continues. Kids are still being um, served today. Kids like Alexander Hamilton, who, you know, who struggled his whole life because he was an orphan. Um, and that never goes away. That that part of his challenge to to who he is and his core identity never goes away. So I just want to say to listeners right now, there are um, there are parts of this story that are redemptive and that continue to weave hope into the lives of emerging generations of Americans. And so as we as we have conversations about our founders, as we have conversations about monuments and the and the imperfect nature of the men of the day um, who built this remarkable country, as we continue to um, answer the questions that were asked, can we ourselves prove out that self-government is possible? Um, Federalist number one. Um, these are the kinds of questions that we must ask, we need to be asking, and that we need to point to evidences of redemptive hope, like ministries, um, including Grand Wyndham, uh, Eliza Hamilton's ministry that she founded 214 years ago um, for orphans, because she had heart for um, for kids like her own husband, Alexander Hamilton. All right, so we're going to leave it right there. Um, I do believe that there's so much more to this story. Thank you, Jonathan, for bringing history to life for us. You guys, uh, if you're looking for a good book, primary source documents, like, right, read Patriotism and Piety, Federalist Politics and Religious Struggle in the New American Nation. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us. I hope you'll come back. Well, thanks so much. I'd, I'd, I'd be delighted to extend this conversation or any other about the about the American founding. Yeah, because now you're going to give some thought to how we ought to be using uh, Hamilton in our uh, homeschooling, since a lot of us are going to be homeschooling in the fall and didn't anticipate it. Oh, I've got all kinds of ideas there. There you go, man. There you go, man. We love it. All right. Thank you so much. All right. That, um, that wraps up our first hour here on Mornings with Carmen, but we have another hour Yet ahead, we're going to talk with Dr. Jeff Barrows from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. We're going to catch up on a number of things, um, medical things uh, outside of uh, outside of COVID-19. Um, and then I'm got, I've got Bob Lapine from Family Life. We're going to talk about his new book, Love Like You Mean It. All right, that's all up next in the next hour of Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.